I could listen to that acoustic set all day. Awesome. Can we pray together? Have you come this morning to listen? Yes. Have you been listening during the worship and the music? Have you come this morning because you're thirsty? Lord, thank you for your sweet presence in our midst. Lord, would you be present with us uh, in your word? Lord, for those of us who have not come to listen, would you uh, help us? Would you help our hearts to listen? For those of us who are not here thirsty for more of you, would you increase our thirst for more of you? In your name we pray. Amen. So Easter Sunday, we looked at some questions of Jesus, the, the power of questions and how Jesus uses questions actually quite a bit. In fact, he, he asks over 125 questions throughout the Gospels. And we've realized that oftentimes, in fact, almost all the time, he's not asking questions because he's wondering about something. He's asking questions for the people that are standing before him. He's asking questions for you and for me. I remember the very first time that I started thinking about this idea of questions. It was uh, in the story of the blind man of Luke 18 where he was on the side of the road and Jesus is coming by and he's crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd is like, shh, quiet, quiet. And he's like, no. And he keeps pushing, son of David, have mercy on me. He's pushing and pushing. And finally, Jesus slows down and he goes before him. And then Jesus says, what can I do for you? That question. And my first thought was, <laughs> Jesus, why, why would you ask that? I mean, everybody knows what this guy wants, right? Everybody knows he's crying out, he's blind. I would have the temptation if I was the, the, the blind man on the side of the road, I'd be like, what do I want? I'm blind, you're Jesus enough said, right? That, don't, don't you get that? And I was like, why would Jesus ask that? And in fact, the, the man replies simply, Lord, I want to see. Listen to Jesus' response. So simple. Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Why didn't he just say that when he went there? Why did he ask a question? Why didn't he just say, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. 
questions, the, the power of questions, realizing that Jesus is using questions to probe us, to call out something in us, to invite in us a, I guess the best word I can use is a participation with his work in our lives. This invitation. And in fact, did you hear Jesus' response? What he was doing, what he was inviting, the, the role that he was asking the blind man on the side of the road to play was a role of, did you see it? Did you hear it in Jesus' response? What was he calling out and inviting participation in the man? Let me read his response again, Jesus' response. Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. What was Jesus after? Hmm. It's right there. He's after faith. He was, he was calling out a participation of his faith in his heart and soul. It must have been valuable for the individual, for the man to articulate, Jesus, I want to see in that faith expression, that trust that Jesus could do it. I wonder if that's why in the book of Hebrews we are told, without faith it is impossible to please God. That's quite a statement, right? So if you're going to please God, if you're going to live a life of God, with God, you can't do it. You can't do it if you have no measure of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him who earnestly seek him. Hebrews eleven twelve. who earnestly seek him. Interesting, that connection between faith and pleasing God and those who earnestly seek him. You know, I was reflecting on that very scripture and I wondered how, how is that different than we usually approach faith? Oftentimes when we approach faith, I think it's from a, a more passive position. It's a, you know what, either God gives it to someone or he doesn't, right? Either I got it today or I don't. Either I, I am pursuing faith in that strong way. I see others that pursue and I just, I've been passed over. God doesn't, he, he's not working that. This, this more passive, it's a kind of an all God thing without a role for us to play. I think oftentimes we're tempted to approach faith in that way. Now, truth be told, we cannot have faith without God. Right? It, it is a God thing in the sense that he has to initiate with us. And he does. That he has to pursue us and invite us, which he does. Without God, we cannot have faith. We don't have it in us uh, by ourselves. 
However, that doesn't mean that we don't have a role to play in our own faith. Just because God is initiating and without God we can't, can't have faith, that doesn't mean that he doesn't invite us to press in and earnestly seek him and invite faith. The question that we're going to look at this morning in Luke chapter 24, if you would turn with me there, please. If you brought your Bibles, wonderful. If not, there are some Bibles located in the seats in front of you. Grab that out, turn to, to 24. We are going to look at a resurrection appearance to Jesus. And Jesus is appearing to his disciples in different ways. Uh, the two disciples on the road to um, Emmaus, he appears to Peter. He appears to the women, uh, as we read, Mary Magdalene and the other women last week. And let's approach it. Boy, this is a very significant moment in the life of the apostles and the disciples, right? Jesus has, has been resurrected, but they're still, they don't know. They're, they're, they're clueless a little bit. They're like, okay, we've got some testimony, but, but really, so this is an important moment. And Jesus is going to ask some questions, of course, right? Jesus is going to make some statements. And isn't it, and to think about what is important enough on Jesus' heart and mind at this moment that he would want to communicate to his disciples in this resurrection appearance? What's important enough for you and me in this resurrection life, this kingdom life, that Jesus at this crucial moment in, mis in his ministry and in the history of the church and the world that he would focus on, draw our attention to, invite us into. Shall we read? Yes. All right. Starting at verse 36, so the disciples, apostles, and the extended disciples are talking about these appearances. While they were still talking about this, the different appearances with Jesus, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened. Probably Jesus just appeared. They were probably behind closed doors. They were talking about appearances and maybe some expressing some doubt and boom, Jesus is there. And he says, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? It's a question. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you. While I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses 
the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this, um, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Speaking of the power of questions, sometimes I like to use questions as I study scripture. I like to ask questions of the text to see if I can get it to open up before me felt led that we would ask some questions of our own of the text and try and dig in and see what's going on. And the first question that I asked of the text was this, why does Jesus begin in this crucial moment of history, why does he begin with a greeting of peace? Is there significance to that. Cindy, you can go to that uh, first slide. Why does he begin with the greeting of peace? Was it just that was a normal greeting? That was rooted in the idea of shalom in the Old Testament. Is there a greater significance in this key moment where the resurrection has happened? Was there a greater reason why Jesus appears among them and he says, peace? Be with you. I think there is. There is a very interesting connection between the concept of peace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The concept of peace and what Jesus had just accomplished on the cross and the resurrection. In fact, there's such a connection that the Apostle Paul would use this phrase in this scripture of Ephesians 6. He'd use the phrase, the gospel of peace. Like he would define and center the message of the gospel in this concept of of peace. When he's talking about the uh, spiritual armor that we are to put on as followers of Christ. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness. Be ready to walk it. Be ready to share it. With the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So what's that connection? What's that depth? You know, the... the, the Hebrew word of shalom and the Greek word of peace have this rich meaning for you and I. So much farther than we normally think of the English word peace. Oftentimes we think of the absence of conflict and that is it. And yet this idea of shalom, this biblical sense of peace is broader. It's defined with a completeness, a soundness of life, a wholeness. Cindy, go to that next line. That, um, That completeness, that soundness and that wholeness 
of life. To greet someone with shalom was to um, a, a connotation of this positive blessing that was wishing upon them the favor of God, was inviting the favor, the shalom of God to rest on their lives. That's a pretty significant greeting, right? That's a little bit more significant than, hey, how's it going? But it was this peace to you. It was that desire that God's favor, God's goodness, God's grace and mercy would rest there. Think of it like this, that there's spiritual dynamics of this idea of peace. That you would be at peace in your relationship with God. That there would be nothing between you and the living God. That there would be no sin, no angst, no difference. And that's exactly what Jesus accomplished on the cross, right? He tore the curtain. He was forsaken. The, the distance of the Father rested on him so that we might be what? We might enter through the curtain and be drawn close. That we might experience peace with God. To wish someone peace was to wish them peace with God. You can also think about that. That is more of that vertical peace. You can think of this as the horizontal peace. Where to wish them not only peace with God. But peace with one another. Reconciliation with one another. That there's no issues that you're having. I wish that there's no angst between you and family members or friends or co-workers. Wishing that peace. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he referred to you and I as ambassadors that, of reconciliation. He was saying that you are ambassadors of reconciliation because you carry the gospel with you, that we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. But then he goes further. He said to be ambassadors of reconciliation is also that we can have peace with one another. Do you know there's a tradition in, in um, many churches, especially uh, the older denominations, Catholicism, Anglicanism, uh, Episcopalian, Reformed tradition, there is this tradition that's called passing of the peace. Have you ever heard that before? Where, where there's a moment, and funny, we haven't heard that. There's a moment in the worship services where you, you pass the peace to one another. You greet one another with a peace that many times, you can use different phrases and idea, but many times it is um, peace be with you and the response is also with you. I was at a reformed congregation. It was like a church plant sending very young families and they would practice passing of the peace every week. And in fact, how they would practice it is they would just take time in the service. Like it was like five to 10 minutes. As a visitor, like I was uncomfortable because I was like all by myself, right? So I passed a few people and then they were like talking and I was just sitting there. And yet they took that very seriously. 
And, and kind of the concept behind that is since we are called to be people who pass, who, who carry this gospel of peace, that as we pass the peace, peace be with you and also on you, that there's something that happens on the inside. That as we greet one another in peace, we begin to experience that formation that's there. Now, why don't a lot of congregations do that? I think it's because of, it's the introvert's nightmare. And I hate that, right? So introverts, you are gonna really hate me in this moment. Because I'd like to interrupt my sermon for just a little bit. And I would like us to pass the peace to one another. <laughs> Can we do that for just a moment? Do you have enough of what? It's a, uh, it's a handshake. It's a greeting. And simply say, peace be with you. And also with you. And, and do it to the people around you. And then maybe look, I'm not going to give you 10 minutes. But just a, a few minutes. Would you find someone and pass the peace of Jesus Christ to them? Let's all stand up. Let's look around. Let's find some people. People in the sound booth. Go. All right, that's enough kindness. We've pushed the introverts to the very edge of their comfort level. That's okay. Peace be with you. Thank you, Renee. You got it. Yes. All right, sit down. Stop talking. I got a lot more to say this morning. How's just the greeting? Do you think there is significance? One more thing about peace that I just want to mention is that part of the understanding of peace is the idea of wholeness. There's a spiritual peace. There's a relational peace. Did you know that there is a physical sense of peace? When Jesus was going and the woman who had, uh, she'd been bleeding for years and she reached out and touched his cloak. He was surrounded by all these people. The crowd is pushing in, they're moving in. And of course, Jesus asked a question, who touched me? And Peter's like, uh, Jesus, everybody was touching you. So of course, he asked the strategic question. And finally, the woman 
comes before him. And translations don't know how to get all these words out, these Greek words. You've got sozo, you've got the Greek word for peace. So I just went with the King James Version. It says, he said unto her, daughter, thy faith has made you whole. Isn't that interesting? She was healed of her bleeding. And he says, faith has made you whole. Go in peace, in shalom, and be whole of thy plague. There's this idea that we have a physical, a shalom wholeness in our body, that that's part of the gospel. Part of the gospel is not just reconciliation and peace with God, not just reconciliation and peace with one another, but that we have this sense of wholeness and restoration and peace. I was praying and talking with a young adult, and he was wrestling, he's been wrestling with seizures in his body. And then we prayed and I was praying for him. He actually received, the, received Christ just a, a few weeks ago. And he experienced a measure of that relational peace. He's got some struggles relationally. And I'm praying for peace in those relationships. He's got a lot of issues going on physically. And I'm praying I'm praying for the wholeness. He had said, well, God has some reason for seizures in my life. I said, you know, I don't think the Father wants seizures for you. That's not part of his shalom that Jesus came to give. Would you agree? And we get to pray for shalom. What are you asking the Lord for in terms of peace? What are you trusting him for? What are you leaning in? Is there a spiritual dynamic? Is there a relational dynamic? Is there a physical dynamic where you're saying, if the gospel means peace in every level, what am I reaching out and trying to touch his cloak for? That was only one question. It's the second question. Why does he call out their faith? Why does he say, why are you doubting? Is he chastising them? Is this another version of, are you so dull? Right? Why does he call it out right there? And, and then why does he ask for a piece of fish? Right? Was he like, man, this resurrection and poof thing is, it really builds an appetite. So before we go on, can I have something to eat, a little nourishment? Is that why he asked for a, a piece of fish? What's he doing? What's going on right here in the text? What's so crucial in this moment of history that Jesus is focusing on? Peace, yes. What else? 
Faith, yes. He's calling out. He's inviting participation. He is wanting them to experience an increase of faith. And friends, I believe that Jesus in this moment is wanting you and I to experience an increase of faith. That he's not just wanting us to say, oh, either you got it or you don't. This passive thing. But no, he's inviting us to believe. He's inviting us to lean in. Why am I not such a person of faith? Why does my spouse have more faith than me? I don't, maybe it's just a God thing and I don't no he's saying no you have a role to play he's using questions he's using scripture he's using experience with the disciples he's saying give me a piece of fish because I want you to see I'm the real deal I am not a ghost I'm physical would you believe Do you know that we get to ask for an increase in faith? Did you know that? Is it a God thing? Absolutely. Do you have a role to play? Yes, we do. Why do I know we get to ask for an increase of faith? Because the disciples asked for an increase in faith. Have you ever asked for an increase of faith? Note the context in which they ask for an increase. Jesus says, he's speaking to them, and he says, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Forgive him. Now, I just imagine the disciples going, seven times? Again and again? Jesus, really? I mean, I've had some of my brothers really, really hurt me. And like the third or fourth time, I have to forgive if he simply repents? That doesn't seem very fair. I, I don't think I'm a nice enough person. I don't have enough resources in me to forgive again and again and again seven times. So what's their response to Jesus? The apostle said to him, increase our faith. We don't have it in us to forgive. We don't have it in us to love that well. We don't have it in us to live the faith, to live the life that you've called us to live. Jesus, would you increase our faith? Have you ever asked for an increase of faith? Maybe this morning is your morning. Maybe for some of us, we're gonna get to ask for an increase in faith at the end of the service. Father, help me to trust you more. Help me to love this person, this this enemy. Really, Jesus, I have to love my enemy? I'm so much more comfortable in hate and bitterness and hurt. Love, love, forgive. Jesus, I can't do it. I don't have enough faith. 
okay, would you increase my faith? Do you know there's other ways that Jesus invites us in our role to play, to increase, to actively influence our personal faith. It's right here in the passage, right here. Jesus gives them an experience of him. They, he, he says, go ahead and touch me, see me, believe that. Somewhat of the earlier resurrection appearance to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It says, they were walking with them and he breaks bread and they'd been speaking to them and then their eyes were open. They see his hands, probably the marks of crucifixion in him. And it says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. God, Jesus had given them an experience of him and he invites them to increase their faith. Do you know he wants to give you an experience of him today? Yes, it's different. Yes, he's at the right hand of the Father physically right now. But still, at the same, he wants to give you and I an experience of his presence. Did you touch the moment in our worship set, where Beth just kind of allowed his presence to rest. Did, did you notice that? And then she was just singing in the presence. You know, that's an experience of him. That will increase your faith. Some of you missed it. I know some of you missed it. It's not on your radar screen yet. We're going to get there. It was his presence right there. If you were talking or reading your bulletin or writing prayer requests, you missed it. He wants to give us that experience of presence. Why? To increase our faith. You know, experience is often poo-pooed by the evangelical church. It should not be. It should not be. That's a part of how Jesus wants to work in our life. You can experience his presence in a worship service, in a sermon right now. Some of you hear it, some of you feel it. In a word spoken from someone else when you were passing the peace. You know, you can experience his presence doing dishes. A la Brother Lawrence. You can experience his presence vacuuming. That's a place I really enjoy experiencing his presence. Because when I'm vacuuming, I get so bored. Right? Some of the things that are there. You can experience his presence Jogging. The Lord wants to give those moments of presence. I was recalling a story from my mom's faith journey where her faith was incredibly increased. She was a, a very young Christian and she was touched by the charismatic movement. Did you know part of the kingdom life is charismatic? Charismatic. 
not, not TV evangelist charismatic, not, not weird charismatic. I, I would say biblical charismatic. That that's part of the kingdom life. Right? His presence and his power is for us today. And she had been touched by that and her friend, her, her closest friend, who's still alive today, she had received a, a prayer language and she longed and she felt like the Lord was inviting her to earnestly seek him in a prayer language. And she tells the story. She was, she was frustrated, but she kept pressing in. My sister in um, middle school was granted a prayer language and she said, that is wonderful, sweetie. She was away on a retreat and then hung up and she said, God, what is going on? She doesn't know anything about that. I'm pursuing it and you give it to her and not to me. She's wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. And then one morning she was still in her bed and she used to tell the story, I'm so glad that no one else was home, school and work. And she was praying and she was earnestly seeking. And the Lord just didn't give her a prayer language he gave her a prayer yell (laughs) and it just flowed out of her and you know what she said she said I responded back with this you are real and you really do love me now it's not the same for everybody it's not been the same for me in my faith journey But that experience, she was like, that increased her faith. In fact, I'm going to say for the rest of her life, for the rest of her life, she lived her faith out in a different way because she was touched by the love of God. It just happened to be in a prayer language. It could be different in different ways. But the, the central thing was the experience of the love of the Father, the kindness of the Father. And her faith went, whoosh. Jesus wants to give us, increase our faith through an experience of him. Also, what he does, and this is the way that I can connect with him most is did you notice right in the passage of scripture, not only does he give them an experience, touch me, eat a a piece of fish, what else does he do in the passage of scripture? Some of you have the answer right in your hands. He opens up the scriptures to them. Just like on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples says they asked one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That's what he wants to do. This is the revelation of God that we can open these things and he wants to increase our faith as we hear his voice, as we experience him in the word of God. I'd have to say for me personally, that's how I experience most an increase of faith is when scripture is opened up before me and I hear God's impression. I hear God's word. He's laying that in on me. 
Many of you read the, uh, the, one of the Gospels leading up to Easter. Did you experience him as you read those passages of Scripture? I hope so. He wants to. I want to invite you, if you feel uh, so led, is I'm now going to be reading Acts up until Pentecost. Would you open that up and say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Would you help me to see things that I've never seen before in your revealed word? One last question for us. If they finally believed, if they finally believed, which they did, and they've got that, they believe, now they're witnesses, they are ready to go. They have touched Jesus, they believe in his resurrection, they're carrying this gospel of peace. I think my expectation is Jesus would be like, finally, you guys get it, now go. But he doesn't say go. In fact, he says, you've got it, good, now stay. Why does he say stay? You know it. It's, it's right there. It's opened up to you. Let me say this. A few words about self-reliance. Self-reliance, and I think this is a plague on our church. I think it's a plague on our church. I think that we trust in ourselves and, and others way more than we really trust in the Father. And I think that our culture, there is, a, there is a cultural mantra that I hear all the time in movies, motivational speakers, uh, in TV shows, and that is believe in yourself you've got it you're good enough you've got the gifts you know you hear that athlete and I just believed in myself and I went for it Isaiah way back thousands of years ago said this stop trusting in mere humans that includes yourself are you mere humans stop trusting stop trusting I hear pastors saying believe in yourself no Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? What's he pushing for? What is he inviting them to? David, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in my skills and abilities. What did he do? Put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you I entrust my life. Isn't that man after God's own heart? He's entrusted his life into the hands of the Father, the one who has given him the gifts, the one who has given the abilities. Our gifts and abilities are not enough. They need the empowerment of God to do the things that he wants to do. If we really are going to join him in extending the kingdom of God, it's not good enough that we just bring our talents and our gifts. Amen? Amen. Yes? Yes? 
What do we need? We need faith and trust. Yes. Why does he tell us to stay? <laughs> Thank you, Beth. All right, let me ask you this. Jesus has a crucial empowerment plan. He has a plan A for your empowerment in life. There is no plan B. There is a plan A. Do you know what that plan A is? Before you answer, let me ask you another question that has the same answer. What is the least understood person? Who is the least understood person of the Trinity? Now, Beth, go. Holy Spirit. That's his plan. But do you see, we, we've misunderstood or we've been fearful. We haven't seen that the role of the Holy Spirit, one of the crucial aspects, is not just presence, is not just faith, but is empowerment as we trust God. He wants to come upon us and empower our gifts and skills. That's why Jesus goes, finally, you've got it. Now stay. What are they staying for? Right there. What's the last verse in these pages of scripture? Look at it with me now. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus, I can't forgive. Jesus, I, I'm uncomfortable praying out loud. Jesus, I'm, I, I, I don't think, to pray for this person, I don't, there's some deep wounded stuff there. I don't have the skills, the abilities. Oh yeah. That's right where I want you. It's right where I want you. Would you stay? It is a really complicated uh, formula of how you are clothed with power on high. You know this complicated formula? Let me just unpack it really quick. Just if you could follow with me how you do this. All right, it's somewhat intricate, but here it is. You ask. That's it. Not just once. Many times. Each day. Do you know what I did this morning in preparation for the sermon? It was really complicated. I asked. Stay. Now, truth be told, sometimes we have to press in. Oftentimes we have to, what some of the old school pastors would say, you have to tarry, you have to ask. But the idea is you keep asking. You get it. You, you don't trust yourself. You, you don't trust simply in the gifts and abilities that God has given you. But he wants this interchange of empowerment upon you. And we ask, have you ever asked? Boy, a lot of things. Have you ever asked for peace physically, spiritually, relationally. Will the worship team come on forward? And we were going to anoint with oil 
in the middle of the service as we normally do, but we wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted to give the opportunity for simply some of our prayer leaders, if the prayer leaders would come forward also, is just to give and grant a prayer of God's favor, a prayer of God's blessing, if you feel so led to come forward. All right? Would you guys be able to do the offering song again, or would that throw you? Can you do that? Okay. Uh, Beth predicted that I would say that. So there it is. That's the Holy Spirit. That was not her giftedness. That was the Holy Spirit. All right? Can we uh, close our eyes and pray? And, and for the, a prayer of blessing and favor, is there something on your heart that, that you need peace? You do not have peace with God this morning. There's, there's something going on in your soul and you want to ask for peace with God. Do you need relational peace? There's angst with someone and you want to ask for shalom in that relationship. Is there a physical ailment that you have and you need to ask for peace in your body? Is there... Are you feeling a lack of faith and you've never asked for an increase in faith? This is your morning. Just simple, a prayer. It's not going to be long. It's going to be a blessing. I just ask this. Is there something you're trying to do that you just can't do it in your own strength and you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? love to pray for you. I love how folks are coming and I haven't even given the invitation yet. So as we worship, if you're so led to pray and receive a prayer of blessing, would you come? Worship and come.